Amen. Why don't you wait, make your way back to your seats? Let's sing some good old-fashioned hymns this morning. Would you sing with me? Walking in sunlight all of my journey over the mountains through the deep vale. Jesus has said, I'll never forsake thee. Promise divine that never can fail. Heavenly sunlight, heavenly sunlight, flooding my soul with glory divine. Hallelujah, I am rejoicing, singing his praises. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day. Day I will never forget. After I'd wandered in darkness away, Jesus, my Savior, I met. Oh, what a tender, compassionate friend. He met the
this morning and sing praises together to our God and King. Amen. Amen. We are certainly glad that you have chosen Pitts Baptist Church to be your place of worship today. We certainly welcome those who are members, but we also want to welcome those who might be visiting with us today. And if you are visiting, we would like to invite you to take a care card that's in the pew back in front of you and just put that information on there so that we can get back in touch with you and just tell you how much we enjoyed having you uh, visit with us here today at Pitts Baptist Church. On the flip side of the card is a place for anybody to put a prayer request. Uh, and you put that prayer request down, that's divided amongst our staff or it gets to the right person. Uh, and so we want to be able to pray for you. We want to know how to pray for you. So put that on that care card. And then when you're finished filling that out, as you leave uh, this morning's worship service, there's some giving boxes on the back wall of the foyer of the sanctuary. We would love for you to place those in those boxes. But regardless, we are just so thankful that you're here visiting today. And we're excited to be all together uh, to worship our Lord and our Savior. He is indeed worthy of our praise. Um, a few announcements for you this morning. Number one, the Women of Faith Ministry uh, is going to meet this uh, Tuesday, October the 3rd at Logan's Steakhouse at 1130. Uh, and the, the, the Women of Faith Ministry is a, for senior adult ladies who are single or widowed or divorced. It's a time to meet for fellowship and encouragement. Uh, and if you have any questions about this, please see Jamie Floyd. I know that's an encouraging ministry, ongoing ministry that we have. So if you fit that category, I'm sure uh, they would love to have you for that time of fellowship. Um, it's getting close again to trunk or treat and enjoying some of the cooler weather. Um, but that tells us that fall is on the way and with fall comes our trunk or treat. And uh, this year, our trunk or treat is going to be on October the 25th from 6 to 8. And this year, it's going to be here at our church. And in the past couple of years, we've been at Pitt School Road Elementary School. But this year, we're going to be back at our church. And so community groups are going to be asked again uh, to participate by decorating their car 
uh, and putting candy in the back, and that's just the big draw to get lots of people to come. It's a good introduction to our church. It's one of the biggest mission opportunities, outreaches that we do uh, as, as, as a whole church body. Uh, so we want you to be involved, and you can be involved by getting your car uh, decorated and handing out candy while the kids come. Or you can just obviously we want you to pray for that event. And then we need a lot of candy. Uh, so make sure that you bring candy. There's going to be uh, places for you to uh, drop that candy off in the foyer of the, the sanctuary here or in the core lobby. So make sure that you put that on your calendar. Be involved. Uh, if you have any questions about that logistically, uh, see Garrett Inslee. Ladies, your fall Bible study begins today at 5 o'clock. Um, with all other sessions meeting, though, on Thursdays beginning October 12th. And you have two options. You have the morning option at 10 and the evening op option at 630. Uh, your study is entitled When You Pray. It's a seven-week study on prayers from the Bible that will inspire and strengthen and encourage your own prayer life. Uh, the cost of the workbook is $20, so sign up today at the front desk uh, in the lobby here. Uh, tonight, though, uh, your session will not be in the small fellowship hall. It will be in the chapel. So, ladies, you take advantage of that wonderful opportunity. Also, this Thursday, October the 5th, is Ladies' Night Out. And the theme for this night is complete joy in his protection. Uh, the evening will begin at 6.30 and will include a soup and salad dinner, a focused time in God's Word, and an escape room. Pastor Scott, you better hope Connie escapes her room because otherwise you'll starve. So, I know you're praying that Connie escapes her room. The cost is $10. That's a great deal. Uh, and it's for uh, ages uh, sixth grade and up. And uh, today's the deadline to get your ticket. So, see Connie for more details. Um, I know that you will not want to miss next Sunday as Sam Nadler will be here. Uh, to lead us in worship. Uh, Sam is a Jewish believer and is the founder and president of Word of Messiah Ministries. Uh, so come next Sunday and learn about how Jesus used the Feast of Tabernacles to speak of himself during his earthly ministry, which pointed to the culmination of his redemptive plan for humanity. Uh, so I know you will not want to miss next Sunday. It'll be a special time together. And then men uh, coming up, Coming up October 13th through the 15th is our Pitts Crew Rally. Come be a part of a special weekend that includes uh, a, a dessert and challenge on uh, Friday night. Um, and then breakfast and a devotion on Saturday morning. And then that's followed by events that you can choose from. You can choose golf or disc golf or go-karting or fishing. Um, and then on Saturday night, uh, we will have... A great meal, and it won't be soup and salad. It'll be red meat. <laughs> yes. That's great. Love it. And then we will have another challenge from God's Word. Mark Logan, who's been here several times, uh, will be our guest speaker. I know that you will want to, uh, guys, put this on your calendar. The cost uh, just for the conference is $20, so you don't have to do the Saturday afternoon activities you can just come be a part of Friday night, Saturday morning, and Saturday night. And then uh, Mark Logan will be here Sunday morning uh, to preach on the 15th. So uh, make sure that you get involved in that. It's just a good way to fellowship together, grow in our faith as men learn how to lead our homes in a better way. So.
hope you, uh, and I think next Sunday is the deadline to sign up for that. All right? Well, let's join our hearts together and, and pray and uh, ask the Lord's blessing on this service. Father, thank you um, just looking at all these announcements and how our church is so involved in, in doing different things to reach different people. Lord, we pray that uh, you would use these things to do so. God, we pray that in Bible studies and trunk or treats and men's weekends and ladies' nights, God, that the focus would always and continually to be to introduce people to the saving grace of the Lord Jesus and to, to strengthen our walk with you. God, thank you for uh, your love for us. Thank you, Father, for the way that you provided for us uh, for salvation, that you indeed, Father, said that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except by Jesus. Father, you've made that very clear. There's no ambiguity. Uh, and so, Lord, I pray that uh, if there's anyone here this morning that has questions about that or is confused, I pray, God, that you just make it clear to them the way of salvation is through Christ. And, Father, for those of us who have a relationship with you already, I pray that the, the preaching of the word will stir our hearts uh, this morning to love you more and to serve you more and to look more like you. Father, uh, we indeed want to give you all the praise and all the glory for all that you do because, Father, you are the one worthy. You're the only one worthy of praise. So, Lord, receive this as an offering of our praise this morning as we sing, as we listen, and as we prepare our hearts for worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we join our voices in worship? When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory. Ready for 
years of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood beneath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is you choir and musicians. Take your Bibles out this morning if you would please and turn with me back to the book of 2 Corinthians. We began looking last week on this ministry we have. I was thinking about this after our mission Sunday and all the different mission activities the church is involved uh, in both here and abroad and uh, just uh, a focus out of 2 Corinthians on uh, keeping our passion for what God is passionate about. Looking at this ministry that we have wherever he places us. And so look at chapter 4. And I want to read chapter 4 in its entirety just like I did chapter 3 last week. And so if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word please. Uh, Paul begins talking there and in chapter 4 about the light of the gospel and having the gospel, the treasure of it in, in jars of clay. He says beginning in verse 1, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God. I want you to underscore that. Having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of, of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. 
For God who said let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Thank you. You may be seated. After three months at college, a young lady finally wrote home to her parents. In her letter, she said, Dear Mom and Dad, please forgive me for not writing to you sooner. But all my writing paper was destroyed when the dormitory was burned down by the protesters and demonstrators. I'm out of the hospital now. The doctors say my eyesight should be back to normal in about six months. The kind young man who rescued me from the fire offered to share his apartment with me until the dormitory can be rebuilt. We are married now and hope to see you soon. Love, Judy. And then she added this postscript at the bottom of the letter. Dear Mom and Dad, please disregard the above practice in English composition. The dormitory did not burn down. I've not been in the hospital. My eyes are fine. I'm not married. In fact, I don't even have a boyfriend. But I did get a D in French and an F in algebra. And I just wanted you to see how much worse it could have been. (laughs) She wanted her parents... To have the right perspective. And you know that's what the Apostle Paul wants the Corinthians to understand here. He wants them to have the proper perspective on life 
and ministry. You know, that's a problem we have sometimes as believers. We've got the wrong focus, the wrong perspective, and because of that, we've got the wrong goals in life. Somebody once said, beware of climbing the ladder only to discover at the end of your life that your ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. Paul wants the Corinthians to see that new life in Christ changes everything. Whereas once we might have viewed life from the perspective of the flesh and the world around us, now as believers we are to have the perspective of viewing life from God's vantage point. God has given us a whole new orientation. You know, we used to live upside down in an upside down world. But now as believers, we live right side up in what is still an upside down world. The world is the same, but you and I are to be different. Again, we have a new orientation, a new perspective, and with that comes a new life's purpose and an understanding of our ministry. Every believer in God's church is a minister of the gospel. But that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Because you and I still live in a fallen world and we still also have an enemy, Satan. And so Paul teaches us here as he's telling the Corinthians there are some characteristics that are, that are going to have to be a part of our lives if we're going to conduct ourselves in our ministry as we ought to. Now I've isolated five of these characteristics and some of them are going to be Move pretty quickly, so don't lose heart with five points. But the first one I want you to see is perseverance. Perseverance, he says, therefore having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We've got a ministry, there's no question about it. As a believer, you've got a ministry. When God saved you, he gave you a spiritual gift to use in ministry for the building up of his church. And that means that if you're saved, you are to be a servant of Christ using your spiritual gift in ministry. Whatever your occupation is, your main occupation is to be a servant of Christ. And Paul says those who have received mercy... Or those who have had this experience and this ministry uh, given to them, we don't lose heart. We are not to grow discouraged and lose heart. Why has God chosen to save you and me? Why didn't God pick somebody else? We don't know the answers to all that, but we can at least say thank God that he did choose us. Amen? Don't lose heart simply because being a Christian and being involved in whatever ministry God's given you can sometimes be difficult. It is a reflection of his mercy that he has chosen us. And I'm glad his mercy didn't run out before it got to me. Never give up. 
And you'll remember, if you were to go back to chapter 1, Paul would, would reflect on trials that he faced to cause him to despair even of life. And then later on in, in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, listen to what he says there. He says about his trials, in far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and clothes and cold and exposure. And apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. Folks, imagine serving the Lord and being involved in ministry with all the hardships and trials that the Apostle Paul faced. How many of us would have given up? I imagine a lot of us would. Because today somebody might just give you a little bit of criticism and then you're ready to quit. Well, Paul was beat to death on one occasion. Remember that? On his first missionary journey, he was thrown out of town and left for dead. When, when, he, uh, when he was well enough to stand up, what did he do? Did he get up and run the other way? No, he went right back into town where they beat him and left him for dead, and he kept preaching Jesus. What do you call that? I call that perseverance. How persevering are you? How easily do you get discouraged? How quickly and easily do you give up? Folks, I want you to notice what he's saying here. Our perseverance is based on God's mercy. Did you understand that in verse 1? It's based on God's mercy. Your perseverance is not based on whether or not everybody goes along with you or whether you have success in what you do or whether people like you or not. It is based on God's mercy. Have you received God's mercy? Has God given you a ministry? Yes, there's no question about that. He's extended his mercy to you. So what do you need to do in light of that? You and I need to persevere. Some of you know the name Dr. Al Moeller. He's one of our seminary presidents at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. He's got a great little book on leadership. Uh, Al Moeller's a sharp cookie. He's, he's among three or four or five people in evangelical life today who would be considered probably the intellectual leaders of the evangelical movement. He recounts the days, though, that he first went to Southern Seminary to be their president. Now, most Southern Baptists today have no idea of the direction the convention was heading in in like the 60s and 70s before the conservative resurgence began at the end of the 70s, beginning of the 80s. Most have no idea the direction 
the convention was going in. Students would leave their churches, go to colleges and seminaries, and they were being taught there was no such thing as hell, no such thing as the second coming of Christ. They were being told that the Bible was just a book of myths and fables. I've spoken to older men who were taught these things. If things had not been turned around in the convention, we would probably be going the way of some of the other denominations today that don't hardly believe anything anymore. Well, back to Al Mola. A liberal faction was still there at the seminary, and Al was elected to come in as president and kind of turn it around, turn it back to its foundational principles, what they call their abstract of principles. He talks about uh, how in the early days of his presidency, since the seminary faculty and student body had largely gone the direction that they had, Dr. Moeller faced huge opposition. There were protests on the Southern Seminary campus. People were carrying coffins. One student spit on him as he walked into a press conference. He said he and his wife Mary could go and eat in a local restaurant in Louisville, Kentucky, and they would be heckled and tormented by total strangers, and local media was hounding them to death. He said the hardest part was how his kids, who were age three and six at the time, were also ridiculed and his little kids were targeted. Imagine that. But fortunately today, there's huge respect for the man. He's become a giant in America American evangelical Christianity. But he said if it wasn't for knowing God's call on his life and he was where God had put him, he would have probably given up. But he persevered. Folks, we've got to stay at it. We've got to remember that Jesus told his disciples in John 15, he said, before his second coming, there'd be three relationships we would constantly have to bear in mind. And we would need to persevere in these three. We would need to persevere in abiding in Christ, keeping our connection with him, what it ought to be. Because after all, we're nothing without him and we, we can do nothing apart from him. We need to love one another, Jesus said secondly. And then we need to understand the hostility of the world that we've got an enemy. The the world will hate us because it hated him first. And so we, can't, we cannot give up. We have to persevere and be faithful at what God's called us to do. Then a second principle he mentions here in verse 2 is that of integrity. He says, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. We are not to compromise the word of God, and we must never compromise our own integrity. Hidden things shameful things 
have got to be confessed of and repented of. A, a servant of God, a minister. And again, we're all ministers. If you're saved, you're a minister. We're to have clean lives. There's to be nothing of shame in our lives. Nothing of embarrassment. Because you know what? It harms the witness of the local church. If in the local news, suddenly a, a businessman or a, or a minister from First Presbyterian or First Baptist comes on the news and they've done something to bring shame to the name of Christ. Is there any dark secret in your life that would be an embarrassment? Deal with it. Get it out of your life for Christ's sake. You may have seen in the news lately, I, I read an article about Three weeks ago now probably. One of the most prominent pastors in America from Texas. Max Lucado. Magazines and news outlets like Reader's Digest and Christianity Today were touting him. This, this was decades ago. Touting him as America's pastor and America's best preacher. But Max Lucado ratted on himself again from years ago, a couple of decades ago. He ratted on himself and he's written publicly about it now even in a book. He was cracking under the pressure. Of being a pastor. He said he was under incredible pressure from publishers, publishers at the time. Giving him deadlines on, on books. His church was growing massively. Tour buses were pulling into the parking lot on Sundays. And loads of travelers who wanted to, to go to the church and, and hear him preach. He said their staff at that large church was constantly in inner turmoil with one another. Jealous of one another and fighting over budget dollars. And he was expected to be the guy who could fix everything. And he was cracking under the pressure. He would get in his car and drive somewhere he wasn't known. And he would buy alcohol and sit somewhere lonely by himself and drink to take the edge off. He came to a crossroads in his life and he came clean about it. He said when he, when he shared this with the congregation, he was inundated by people in the church who came up to him. And they started sharing things they were involved in to likewise deal with pressures in their lives. Folks, there can be nothing hidden. Paul says... Lay all of that aside. Deal with all of that for the sake of your testimony. And then he goes on to say here, not walking in craftiness. There can be something dark and sinister to that word. But it, it can also refer to, to having less than pure motives. Maybe somebody's doing something for popularity. I mean, after all, the Corinthians, Paul knew as he wrote to the Corinthians, some of them uh, were faced with leaders who were trying to do things uh, being personality-oriented. Some were serving only to make money, peddling the Word of God. Paul goes on to say here to them, there was nothing uh, crafty or deceitful about his life. What you saw was what you got. He wasn't exploiting anybody out of greed. Again, he was a man of integrity. 
Remember Daniel in the Old Testament? Such a man of integrity. In fact, Daniel's enemies were even trying to examine his life closely, to put his life under a microscope to see if they could find some accusation to level against Daniel. And they couldn't find anything. What a wonderful testimony. That's how Paul is saying he had lived. And he did not adulterate the word of God as servants of the gospel, as ministers of the gospel, you and I. We, we've always got to be true to the word of God. And when we counsel somebody or we're witnessing somebody, it, it, it's never to be, you know, what do they want to hear, but they need to hear what does the word of God say to them. And we need to be faithful to that. Don't ever compromise the word of God. Paul says in verses 3 and 4 here, people don't receive the word. If they don't receive the gospel we're sharing, it's because they're perishing. They don't want to receive it. Their eyes are, are veiled. Satan veils people's eyes to the word of God. But we're certainly not to do that. We're not to lead anybody away from the truth of the scripture. If their eyes are veiled, it's because of the work of the enemy. Not because we're not exercising integrity in sharing the, in sharing the message. We're to be true to the message. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples? He said, if you lead uh, somebody astray, even one of my little ones, it would be better if you had a millstone hung about your neck and you were thrown overboard into the deepest sea. It'd be better for that to be your outcome than to lead somebody astray. Don't adulterate the word of God. All of these descriptions Paul is saying here in verses 2 down through verse 4 have to do with exercising integrity in, in the way you handle God's word and in the way you live God's word out in your life. You're a man or a woman of integrity. And then a third thing, and I'll be very quick here with this one. We won't spend much time, much time at all on point number three. But focus is a third word, third uh, characteristic we've got to have. In verses five and six, he says, for, we, uh, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants. For Jesus' sake, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Notice how he's saying, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ. Don't ever make ministry about you. It's about Jesus. Because remember, all we are is servants. Remember the mother of James and John? What did she want for her boys? She wanted them to sit on either side of Jesus when he came into his kingdom, right? She wanted it to be a little bit about her boys. Now, of course, she knew it was about Jesus, but she wanted Jesus to share a little bit of his glory with her sons. But, you know, there's a problem with that. God doesn't share his glory. Again, if you were to go back to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, for those who wanted to chase after Paul, you remember what Paul said to them? He said, Paul wasn't crucified for you. 
You weren't baptized in the name of Paul, were you? In other words, he's saying the focus in ministry is not about us. We preach not ourselves, but Jesus. Folks, you and I are not the answer to people. We can't save anybody. We can't fix anybody. But we know the one who can. It's all about him. Jesus said on one occasion, he said, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. We make it about him. Because only he is worthy. A fourth characteristic, humility. Humility. Look at verse 7 and following. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Folks, human weakness serves a divine purpose. Paul says here, we have this treasure in jars of clay. And so we're to exercise humility because that's all we are. We are jars of clay. Now, earthenware vessels were very common in ancient times because valuable items were, were stored in them and transported in them. Earthenware vessels were very common. And there could be a big distinction between the vessel and the contents in the vessel. The vessel may not be worth very much, but what it carried could be very valuable. And that's how it is with the gospel. We're vessels, earthenware vessels. But the gospel that we are to proclaim is a treasure. But how is it that God has chosen to get the message out? Through these earthenware vessels, through human flesh. He did it first of all in the incarnation of his son. He sent his son to be like us in the flesh, yet without sin. So he could go to the cross and die for us. And being in the flesh also meant he could be our sympathetic high priest. He knows what it's like to walk in our shoes. Who would have thought God would have done things this way? But he did, and we can be thankful that he did. And now the treasure of the gospel continues to be communicated through earthenware vessels. That's what we are. We are to be ambassadors for Christ. God chooses us. He didn't choose angels to carry out the Great Commission. He chose men and women to carry out the Great Commission. And there's a point in all of this. Because as we go to people who need Christ, people can identify with us. Because we're earthenware vessels just like they are. And there's also the recognition that, hey, life is, is fragile. 
You know, Christians can sometimes look at their weaknesses and be discouraged at what they think they can't do for the Lord. Uh, a classic case would be like Moses who said, Mo, uh, who said, God, I can't speak. Why are you choosing me? And yet God chose Moses with all of his weakness. We need to understand that we're not immune to human weakness. God may not erase your human weakness. God may use your human weakness. I've known cases where somebody's weakness became their ministry. I think there's some of that here at church in our grief share ministry. It's people leading it who've been through grief who are able to help others who are going through grief. That's earthenware vessels reaching other earthenware vessels with the treasure of the gospel. And so we need to have a very honest assessment of ourselves, who we are. We're, we're cracked vessels oftentimes. Now, this doesn't mean that we're to be negative about ourselves. One little boy shared with his father that he didn't understand his math. He said, I've got a test tomorrow and I know I'm going to fail. His dad said, son, you need to be more positive than that. And the little boy said, okay, dad, I'm positive that I'm going to fail. <laughs> Sometimes in ministry, we may be positive that we're going to fail. But actually, by having the treasure of the gospel in earthenware vessels... People can relate to us. You know, it's like Mark 5. We've been through the gospel of Mark. Mark 5, the garrison demoni demoniac that Jesus healed and delivered him of those demons. He wanted to follow Jesus. Jesus said, no, you go back now and be a testimony to your people of what the Lord has done in you. He was one human telling other human beings how God had saved him. And folks, in ministry, that's what God is looking for. He's not looking for superstars. The world looks for superstars. For some reason, people want to buy all the magazines that tell the personal business of stars. You know, I've never understood that. I could care less what the Kardashians are doing. In fact, I think they're basically famous for nothing. People want the haircuts or hairstyles the stars are wearing. They want to eat the food that the stars are eating. They want to wear the styles that the stars are, are wearing. I, I, I read just the other day, in fact, just this week about the royal family in London. People, designers, dress and suit makers will send the royal family their clothes. Sometimes very expensive items because they know if the... The, the royal family wears their clothes, suddenly they're going to be sold out. Everybody's going to want to know what brand it is and buy it. And so the royal family now has a policy. They send all those free gifts back because they don't want the royal family to be used for commercial purposes. This is one of the beefs, the article said, that they had with Megan because she wouldn't send the stuff back. Surprise, surprise. But you know, God's not interested in all that, superstars. He's looking for ordinary people who will simply be faithful.
Why did God do it this way? Look at verse 7 again. Look at the second part of verse 7. It answers the question why we have this treasure in, in jars of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And then Paul goes on to describe some of what comes with being an earthenware vessel. He mentions affliction. Servants of Christ are sometimes afflicted for the sake of the gospel. The the word refers to being under intense pressure. But notice, despite the pressure, he says that he was not crushed. That word crushed refers to being confined to a narrow, tight place. And so despite the daily pressure on him, his ministry and effectiveness was not bottled up. Then he mentions the word perplexed. There's a play on words here. Paul was at a loss, but not at a total loss. He was at his wit's end, but there was still a way out. He was was at the brink of defeat, but he was not defeated. He's perplexed by many things in ministry. Have you ever been perplexed by anything in ministry? You try to help somebody? And share with them out of God's word what they need to do. And they might turn against you for doing that. You're perplexed sometimes. Persecuted. The word persecuted here refers to being pursued or hunted. Paul had lots of enemies. But though he was hunted, he was not forsaken. Why? Because the Lord stood with him. And then he mentions uh, struck down. He was knocked down but not knocked out. He suffered abuse at the hands of his enemies. But he got up and kept going for the Lord. All of these things or a few of them. You may have had experiences like this. Think of it this way. While human sin may hurt your testimony. Human weakness doesn't. People see God working in your human weakness and it inspires and encourages them. God uses your weakness to help others around you. Why? Because this brings glory to Him. Again, it's not about us, it's Him. Others see God's power at work in earthenware vessels. Here's a widow, for example, who testifies about how God sustains her in the midst of her loneliness. Who's that encourage? Other widows. Here's a cancer patient who testifies about the peace that God has given him in the midst of his illness. And it helps others going through times of sickness. All of these examples uh, are of... Earthenware vessels, human beings, not exempt from the heartaches of life. And yet they testify how God works in their weakness and in their heartaches to glorify himself. And it brings encouragement to others. And so what's that mean? We're to to stay humble even if we recognize our own weaknesses because we know That God can use those to point others to Him. Then a fifth characteristic Paul wants them to keep in mind. Perspective. Perspective. Look at verses 16 to 18. He says, so we do not lose heart. 
Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Folks, we've got to have the right perspective about the flesh. The flesh. Our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. One of the early church fathers, Chrysostom, he said that men are nailed to the things of this life. And that's the problem, isn't it? We tend to be nailed to the things of this life. We tend to be riveted to the things of this world. But the Bible says we're to have a new attitude, a new perspective. We're not to focus on the flesh. Paul had quite a resume about the flesh. He mentions that in in Philippians 3. He says he was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But then he goes on in verse 7 of Philippians 3 to say, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul refused to focus on his flesh. Now folks, it's not that the flesh doesn't matter. God gave us our bodies. We're not to be like the Greeks who tried to discount the flesh, said you could do anything you wanted to with the flesh. In fact, the Bible says our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're to glorify God in in our bodies. But focusing on the flesh isn't the goal of life. Because if you focus on the flesh, you're going to despair over the weaknesses of the flesh. And about those weaknesses here, what does Paul say? Our outer self is wasting away. Some translations say decaying. You ever feel like that? At 60 years of age, it amazes me some of the things I can't do anymore like I could when I was 30. We're wasting away. Some of you, my wife included, think I've got a steel trap memory and never forget a name or anything. But I'm getting to the point that, you know, I might go into a room and have to stop and think about why why I went in there. I can remember something with specific details oftentimes from 45 years ago. And she'll be amazed, how did you remember all that? And and those details will be correct. But I I might remember that from 45 years ago, but forget something she tells me from 45 minutes ago. You know what I'm saying, don't you? The We're decaying the outer self is sort of wasting away it's kind of like the guy who went to the doctor his doctor for his memory issues said doctor I've got a problem and he laid it all out and explained and the doctor said sir how long have you had this problem and he looked back at the doctor and he said what problem (laughs) (laughs) our bodies are decaying life is a vapor If we focus on the outer man decaying, how discouraging that could be. That could be very discouraging. But Paul says the inner man is being renewed day by day. Every day our inner man is being renewed. We're to 
Focus on that and be growing in Christ. And you know, that's one of the wonderful things about being a Christian, isn't it? You can increase in that aspect even while you are decreasing. You can increase while you're decreasing. You can be growing in your spirit in Christ-likeness as the years go by. In fact, I love to hear some of our senior citizens tell me about how heaven's getting more and more precious to them and this world doesn't mean as much to them anymore. So folks, don't lose heart about how life is marching on. Make sure you're saved because if you're not saved, then you've got every reason to lose heart and to be concerned. But if you're saved, you can look forward to what lies ahead. It's like Paul said in Philippians 1.21, For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Verse 17, we're to have the right perspective about not just the flesh that's wasting away, but we're to have the right perspective about trials. He says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Look at what he talks about here. Our trials being like momentary light affliction. You have any trials or hardships in life? Paul says they're light. I don't know that I would describe some of the trials of life as being light. I think if you went, went up to Job and told Job about some of his trials that were light, he might punch you in the nose. But Paul calls the troubles we go through light. But what he's saying is next to glory that's waiting on us. Reminds me of Romans 8.18. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. No trial on earth can begin to compare to the glory that awaits the child of God. And then he says about these troubles that they're also momentary. You go through hardships and sometimes you wonder if it'll ever pass. But you know it doesn't last that long usually. And God teaches us through those trials. And so Paul goes on to say, he, he talks about how we're to look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary or transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What's seen? The world around us. And do you realize this is all some people are living for us, or are living for the seen that's around us. And Paul's saying don't focus on that. Because if you focus on that, you're going to prioritize the wrong things in life. I think of the story of the man, who, who the businessman, who was really good at investing. And he was granted any wish in his life that he wanted. And he said, I want to be able to see two years into the future. He was granted that wish. He opened up the paper and he was able to look at all the stocks. He'd look at the stock market and see all the investments he needed to make because of how much those were going to make over the next two years. And he was like, I'm going to be rich. And he was closing up the paper and his eyes hit on the obituaries. And he saw his name in there. 
And he read his obituary and how he died. In two years, he wasn't going to be rich at all. He was going to be dead. The Apostle Paul realized that what really matters is what we can't see now. It's what we can't see. We're not to be like the rich fool in Jesus' story in Luke 12 who had the bumper crop and said, I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones and say to my soul, you've got it made. Eat, drink, and be merry. And God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is going to be required of you. We're not to focus on the temporal. We're not to focus on that what is seen. We're to focus on the eternal. Because, folks, that's what you and I were designed for. To live somewhere forever. You're going to live somewhere forever. Make sure that it's in heaven with Christ. Reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Are you focusing on the temporal or on the eternal? Focus on what matters, the eternal. Have the right perspective in life. Some of the things you and I are focused on right now aren't going to make a hill of beans in, in light of eternity. I want to invite you to close your eyes, bow your heads with me for a minute. Let, let me talk to you a minute as you do so. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just, just listen for a minute. What's your perspective? Where's your focus? Have you been of the opinion that nothing matters more than your flesh or the here and now? Maybe nothing matters more than the name you can make for yourself or the accomplishments you can achieve or the money you can make the toys you can accumulate folks Jesus is not against that in fact we need more Christians achieving excellence for the Lord in whatever they do but you see our focus has got to be him it's got to be his glory not on us if you're living for the flesh the flesh is going to fail you one day. If you're living for the things of the world, the things of the world are going to disappear. What are you going to do then? What's your perspective on trials? Maybe you hate them. You hate anything that interrupts your comfort or inconveniences you. But maybe it's that trial God's wanting to use to work in your life to grow you. What's your perspective on the seen and the unseen? Are you guilty of just living for this moment? Do you need to persevere? Has somebody discouraged you and you've given up too quickly on a ministry you know God's called you to? 
And then lastly, is there anything hidden, anything crafty in your life you know you need to get rid of that it would hurt your testimony if you don't? Deal with it. You've got a ministry. Make sure these five characteristics he mentions here in chapter 4 are true of your life. Lord, thank you for this ministry you've given us. We're not worthy of the task. But Lord, we know it's you in us. So help us to live for you, to have the right perspective, to point people to you. Help us to persevere. Help us to grow. Lord, help us to use our weaknesses for your glory. I pray for that one who maybe this message was tailored just for them because they've been discouraged or they've given up in some aspect of ministry. They need to get back in and run their race, as Hebrews 12 tells us to do. They need to run with patience and endurance the race that is set before them. Lord, I pray for that person this morning who needs to get in the race. They need to surrender their life to Christ. You've been speaking to them about this. Your Holy Spirit's been convicting them and drawing them to Jesus. God, I pray that today they would surrender. Lord, thank you for what you're able to do in and through earthenware vessels. That's all we are. But God, thank you for the way you work in and through us that we can bring glory to you. And I pray that that would be the passion of our lives and of our church family. In Jesus' name we pray.